Section 21 of India, Persia, Mesopotamia, and Palestine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kevin Stewart. The World's Story, Volume 2. India, Persia, Mesopotamia, and Palestine. Edited by Ava March Tappan. Section 21. Alexander the Great in India, 327 B.C. By Plutarch. Alexander the Great, with his army of Macedonians and Greeks, invaded India in 327 B.C. The Punjab was then ruled by several petty kings, so jealous of one another that some of them were inclined to join him if only he would overthrow the others. Porus was one of those who opposed him. The men of Alexander's army were overcome by the intense heat and clamored to leave the country. Therefore Alexander subjugated no province, but he made alliances, founded cities, and planted Greek garrisons. The Editor Alexander, in his own letters, has given us an account of his war with Porus. He says the two armies were separated by the river Hydaspes, on whose opposite bank Porus continually kept his elephants in order of battle, with their heads toward their enemies, to guard the passage. That he, on the other hand, made every day a great noise and clamor in his camp, to dissipate the apprehensions of the barbarians. That one stormy dark night he passed the river, at a distance from the place where the enemy lay, into a little island, with part of his foot, and the best of his horse. Here there fell a most violent storm of rain, accompanied with lightning and whirlwinds, and seeing some of his men burnt and dying with the lightning, he nevertheless quitted the island, and made over to the other side. The Hydaspes, he says, now after the storm, was so swollen and grown so rapid as to have made a breach in the bank, and a part of the river was now pouring in here, so that when he came across, it was with difficulty he got a footing on the land, which was slippery and unsteady and exposed to the force of the current on both sides. This is the occasion when he is related to have said, O ye Athenians, will ye believe what dangers I incur to merit your praise? This, however, is Onesicritus' story. Alexander says, Here the men left their boats, and passed the breach in their armor up to the breast in water, and that then he advanced with his horse about twenty furlongs before his foot. Footnote. Two and a half miles. End of footnote, concluding that, if the enemy charged him with their cavalry, he should be too strong for them, if with their foot, his own would come up time enough to his assistance. Nor did he judge amiss, for being charged by a thousand horse and sixty armed chariots, which advanced before their main body, he took all the chariots, and killed four hundred horse upon the place. Porus, by this time guessing that Alexander himself had crossed over, came on with his whole army, except a party which he left behind, to hold the rest of the Macedonians in play, if they should attempt to pass the river. But he, apprehending the multitude of the enemy, and to avoid the shock of their elephants dividing his forces, attacked their left wing himself, and commanded Canis to fall upon the right, which was performed with good success. For by this means both wings were broken, the enemy fell back in their retreat upon the center, and crowded in upon their elephants. There rallying, 
they fought a hand-to-hand -hand battle, and it was the eighth hour of the day before they were entirely defeated. This description the conqueror himself has left us in his own epistles. Almost all the historians agree in relating that Porus was four cubits and a span high. Footnote. About six feet eight inches. End of footnote. And that when he was upon his elephant, which was of the largest size, his stature and bulk were so answerable that he appeared to be proportionably mounted as a horseman on his horse. This elephant, during the whole battle, gave many singular proofs of sagacity and of particular care of the king, whom as long as he was strong and in a condition to fight, he defended with great courage, repelling those who set upon him. And as soon as he perceived him overpowered with his numerous wounds and the multitude of darts that were thrown at him, to prevent his falling off, he softly knelt down and began to draw out the darts with his proboscis. When Porus was taken prisoner, and Alexander asked him how he expected to be used, he answered, As a king. For that expression, he said, when the same question was put to him a second time, comprehended everything. And Alexander, accordingly, not only suffered him to govern his own kingdom as satrap under himself, but gave him also the additional territory of various independent tribes whom he subdued, a district which, it is said, contained fifteen several nations and five thousand considerable towns, besides abundances of villages. To another government, three times as large as this, he appointed Philip, one of his friends. Some little time after the battle with Porus, Bucephalus died, as most of the authority state, under cure of his wounds, or as Onesicritus says, of fatigue and age, being thirty years old. Alexander was no less concerned at his death than if he had lost an old companion or an intimate friend, and built a city, which he named Bucephalia, in memory of him, on the bank of the river Hydaspes. He also, we are told, built another city, and called it after the name of a favorite dog, Peritas, which he had brought up himself. So Sotian assures us he was informed by Potamon of Lesbos. But this last combat with Porus took off the edge of the Macedonians' courage, and stayed their further progress into India. For having found it hard enough to defeat an enemy who brought but twenty thousand foot and two thousand horse into the field, they thought they had reason to oppose Alexander's design of leading them on to pass the Ganges too, which they were told was thirty-two furlongs broad and a hundred fathoms deep, and the banks on the farther side covered with multitudes of enemies. For they were told that the kings of the Gandaritans and Prasians expected them there with eighty thousand horse, two hundred thousand foot, eight thousand armed chariots, and six thousand fighting elephants. Nor was this a mere vain report spread to discourage them, for Andrucatus, who not long after reigned in those parts, made a present of five hundred elephants at once to Seleucus, and with an army of six hundred thousand men subdued all India. Alexander at first was so grieved and enraged at his men's reluctancy that he shut himself up in his tent and threw himself upon the ground, declaring, if they would not pass the Ganges, he owed them no thanks for anything they had hitherto done, and that to retreat now was plainly to confess himself vanquished. But at last the reasonable persuasions of his friends and the cries and lamentations of his soldiers, who in a suppliant manner crowded around the entrance of his tent,
prevailed with him to think of returning. Yet he could not refrain from leaving behind him various deceptive memorials of his expedition, to impose upon after-times, and to exaggerate his glory with posterity, such as arms larger than were really worn, and mangers for horses, with bits and bridles above the usual size, which he set up and distributed in several places. He erected altars, also, to the gods, which the kings of the Prasians, even in our time, do honor to when they pass the river, and offer sacrifice upon them after the Grecian manner. Androcotus, then a boy, saw Alexander there, and is said often afterwards to have been heard to say that he missed but little of making himself master of those countries. Their king, who then reigned, was so hated and despised for the viciousness of his life and the meanness of his extraction. Alexander was now eager to see the ocean, to which purpose he caused a great many rowboats and rafts to be built, in which he fell gently down the rivers at his leisure, yet so that his navigation was neither unprofitable nor inactive. For by several descents upon the banks, he made himself master of the fortified towns, and consequently of the country on both sides. But at a siege of a town of the Malians, who have the repute of being the bravest people of India, he ran in great danger of his life. For having beaten off the defendants with showers of arrows, he was the first man that mounted the wall by a scaling ladder, which, as soon as he was up, broke, and left him almost alone, exposed to the darts which the barbarians threw at him in great numbers from below. In this distress, turning himself as well as he could, he leaped down in the midst of his enemies, and had the good fortune to light upon his feet. The brightness and clattering of his armor when he came to the ground made the barbarians think that they saw rays of light, or some bright phantom playing before his body, which frightened them so at first, that they ran away and dispersed. Till seeing him seconded, but by two of his guards, they fell upon him hand to hand, and some, while he bravely defended himself, tried to wound him through his armor with their swords and spears. And one who stood farther off drew a bow with such just strength, that the arrow, finding its way through his cuirass, stuck in his ribs under the breast. This stroke was so violent that it made him give back, and set one knee to the ground, upon which the man ran up with his drawn scimitar, thinking to dispatch him, and had done it, if Pucestus and Limnaeus had not interposed, who were both wounded, Limnaeus mortally, but Pucestus stood his ground, while Alexander killed the barbarian. But this did not free him from danger, for besides many other wounds, at last he received so weighty a stroke of a club upon his neck, that he was forced to lean his body against the wall, still, however, facing the enemy. At this extremity the Macedonians made their way in and gathered round him. They took him up just as he was fainting away, having lost all sense of what was done near him, and conveyed him to his tent, upon which it was presently reported all over the camp that he was dead. But when they had with great difficulty and pain sawed off the shaft of the arrow, which was of wood, and so with much trouble got off his cuirass, they came to cut out the head of it, which was three fingers broad and four long, and stuck fast in the bone. During the operation he was taken with almost mortal swoonings, but when it was out he came to himself again. Yet though all danger was past, he continued very weak, and confined himself a great while to a regular diet and the method of his cure, to one day hearing the Macedonians clamoring outside in their eagerness to see him, 
he took his cloak and went out, and having sacrificed to the gods, without more delay he went on board again, and as he coasted along, subdued a great deal of the country on both sides, and several considerable cities. In this voyage he took ten of the Indian philosophers prisoner, who had been most active in persuading Sabas to revolt, and had caused the Macedonians a great deal of trouble. These men, called gymnosophists, were reputed to be extremely ready and succinct in their answers, which he made trial of by putting difficult questions to them, letting them know that those whose answers were not pertinent should be put to death, of which he made the eldest of them judge. The first being asked which he thought most numerous, the dead or the living, answered, The living, because those who are dead are not at all. Of the second he desired to know whether the earth or the sea produced the largest beast, who told him, The earth, for the sea is but a part of it. His question to the third was, Which is the cunningest of beasts? That, said he, which men have not yet found out. He bade the fourth tell him what argument he used to Sabas to persuade him to revolt. No other, said he, than that he should either live or die nobly. Of the fifth he asked, which was eldest, night or day? The philosopher replied, day was eldest, by one day at least. But perceiving Alexander not well satisfied with that account, he added that he ought not to wonder if strange questions had as strange answers made to them. Then he went on and inquired of the next what a man should do to be exceedingly beloved. He must be very powerful, said he, without making himself too much feared. The answer of the seventh to his question, how a man might become a god, was by doing that which was impossible for men to do. The eighth told him, Life is stronger than death, because it supports so many miseries. And the last being asked, How long he thought it decent for a man to live, said, Till death appeared more desirable than life. Then Alexander turned to him who he had made judge, and commanded him to give sentence. All that I can determine, said he, is that they have every one answered worse than another. Nay, said the king, then you shall die first, for giving such a sentence. Not so, O king, replied the gymnosophist, unless you said falsely that he should die first, who made the worst answer. In conclusion, he gave them presents and dismissed them. End of section 21 This recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kevin Stewart